we all have a crazy uncle that you know or, or you know a crazy cousin that's been to prison and you know they they yeah. got out of prison or they're going to prison or you know, you know so you find people who've been to prison that, yeah, you, you know somebody that you know can relate right. Good. Yeah, so this is our office here. I'm gonna show you around real quick. Okay. Oh, hey, look at you. Yeah. <laughs> nice to finally see you in person. Why do I see you on video? <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, this is our little office here. We had this, uh, and I got my phone. Awesome. And, and you got the whiteboard. Yeah, we got the whiteboards going on. So, oh, you got two. It's official now. <laughs> well, yeah, that one is uh, my wife's. That's okay. Her. And then this one is mine. So, and then this is our assistant station right here. We started, we got, we're on our second assistant. And uh, then my wife's got a mover. So, we got two employees. And this is my wife's warehouse back here. So, wow. So, wow. Yeah, we have the one next to it as well. So, wow that's awesome yeah. <laughs> well thanks so much for taking the time to do this but you know uh when you told me the other day on the call that you i know it i know it comes easy it came easy for you but it's those things that sometimes come easy you know how it is it's when someone is stuck in a mindset or I, i'm just thinking of like five different people right now that are just mentally stuck mm -hmm. about how can i actually do this business with no money right mm -hmm. and they miss the hustle part they miss the hustle and they think if i just sit and tap on these keys all day and i move around my mouse and i go to all these websites that money's just gonna pop out of the cd-rom or something and so that's the whole point of the interview man i just wanted you one to um share share with these people um your background like your uh, experience in real estate and you can go far as far back as you want um, so starting off with like your background how you got started in the whole business and the whole industry and then some of the biggest challenges that you had um, especially like when it comes to mindset challenges like those 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 roadblocks mentally and then how you overcome those and then also some of the deals you've done um, and that recent deal that you just that you just got under contract too so that, that you're working on so yeah so my name is uh, Forrest McGee and I'm in the Richmond, Virginia market. And so what I do is I'm a full-time real estate investor and my wife has a separate home staging business, kind of keeps us involved in the ability to see all kinds of different things going on in the industry in our area. And so it keeps us pretty connected. And I got into real estate about five years ago now. And I started out doing it the wrong way. Uh, didn't know how to uh, value a house. Didn't know how to buy a house at the right price. Uh, got in with a business partner that me and him made it almost through that house before the relationship went south. And then uh, did the whole thing myself. Uh, pretty well, there are certain things I refused to do like the plumbing and the painting and stuff like that. Right, right. But just about everything else I did myself and he helped some and my wife helped a lot and my father helped some, but uh, we really took way too long, way too much money. We didn't buy it right. So the whole thing was really, 
demoralizing, but I still felt like I wanted to do it. So uh, we basically got educated in how you're supposed to buy a house correctly and found a local mentor first. And then and so now I've been doing direct-to-seller marketing and direct-to-seller buying of properties. And, uh, so a few, a few, just to interject here, just a few questions about your transition points. Um, after you did the first few deals that you did incorrectly, and when you started off from HUD, when you say you shifted, uh, can you share a little bit more about that, like the shifting part and why you shifted the strategy? Yeah, so I kind of did it a little slower than I think some other people might have or did do it. So I kind of like just couldn't get a deal, couldn't figure out why I couldn't get a deal, and then finally realized, hey, I think it's because my uh, – my resource pools dried up, so to speak. So I, I just need to go find okay. something else. So I just went and, you know, just started copying other people. I heard somebody say one time, all I do is just copy other people. And that's basically that all that I do is just copy other people and what's working at yeah. that time. I'm not, I'm not trying to go find out what is working. I'm just trying to see what's working and follow it. So that's pretty much where I, you know, wasn't getting any deals and if i'm in the real estate business i have to have deals so just find out what's working today and then go and do it mm -hmm. yeah so when you made the transition from finding hud deals into direct to owner mm -hmm. uh what were some of the strategies that you started working on uh when it comes to that because like there is i can think of over 50 different ways to attract motivated sellers but what were some of the ways that you started off with at first so the first thing I did was I went and got carrot websites and started working on SEO and those and just following their model and their guideline. And mm -hmm. what they say, you know, works and it works. So yeah. I went and started doing direct mail with your help. I started doing some direct mail and just kept pounding it until I got a deal. And it took like my third touch to actually get a contract on that, which was a little stressful, you know, sending out, sending out a thousand dollar bills every month or every time you know, and not getting any, any return. hoping and praying that that phone rings. Uh, I hope this thousand dollars is the one that'll get <laughs> so, That's so, true. so that, uh, that worked, uh, after a while. And then, uh, well, how did it work though? Like, so how many mailings did you do? And, and so when you list, say it wore out? Okay. Yeah. So my list was about 1200 people. And okay. the, the particular list that I started with uh, was 1,200 people. It was absentee owners with 70% uh, or better equity or loan to value, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so that's the list that I basically pulled in, you know, the southern part of our area, Richmond, because um, that was the price homes I was going for is like under $200,000 price homes. I guess that was the other criteria. And so I just, you know, hit them the first time. It was all yellow letter and just kept hitting them and just kept hitting them. And uh, I've learned a lot since then, but basically that's what I did. I just kept going. Yeah, I just, you know. Yeah. How many would you say, when you say you kept hitting them, how many times would you say you hit them until the results started coming in? It's, well, you start getting phone calls after the, you know, first mailing, but those usually aren't the phone calls. Yeah. So that, those are the people that, you know, not motivated. They're either take me off your list, 
uh, don't ever contact me again. Or if you want to pay me, you know, full value for my house, then you know, I'll let yeah. you, I'll, I'll let you have it, you know, if you pay too much. So uh, that was kind of the first, the first mailing, and then the second mailing was a little bit more motivated, but really not great leads. And then the third one was like, you know, hey, I've gotten your stuff a couple times, and. Uh, you look like somebody that, you know, I saw your website, you know, that's, that's another big thing is, you know, the website's more of a credibility and kind of like an anchor source that you can kind of feedback on. And, uh, so then after they kind of research you a little bit, you know, some of the people that have a problem, but they're not desperate, uh, we'll do a little bit of research and see if you're real or if you're just, you know, some fly by night guy. So after the third yeah. mailing is when I actually got a contract. But I would say probably got 20 to 30 phone calls for each mailing. But okay, you know, 98% of them or 95% of them were, you know, don't, not worth my time or take me off your list. Right, right. Yeah. So out of, out of that smaller percentage, those are the, you said you got about 30 to what 30 to 40 calls each time off east mailing uh and out of those out of those calls you're how many would you think you were turning like make it it was close a successful deal i would say 50 to one on direct mail okay you know, if people that i got you know that were like a decent lead there's somebody like i actually like looked up the address and had a conversation right. so maybe right. maybe Maybe better than that. Maybe 40, maybe 40 to one. Okay. All right. That's pretty good. Um, so out of all the real estate strategies that you've tested so far, because you've tested a few so far, you've mentioned, uh, you know, direct mail, you've mentioned online SEO. Uh, and I'm sure you've probably done some of the other ones that, I mean, there's a plethora, but uh, out of all the ones that you've tried, which one has been your favorite so far? I like PPC and Facebook ads. Okay, why? Because you, if they're contacting you, it's because you know they have a problem. And uh, mm. they just want you to solve their problem. You're not, you're not like trying to convince people that they have a problem. They already know they have a problem, and they're just trying to find somebody they can trust to solve, your pro solve their problem. So that's what I like Yeah. About. Right, right. And what do you do, like, when you're talking to a homeowner to build trust? You know, whether the phone call is just coming in from a letter or PPC or Facebook, something like that. Um, what is your way of building trust? Well, I, you know, I try to build rapport. I try to, and, and we all have things in common with somebody. We can all talk about something. We all have a crazy uncle that you know, or, or you know, a crazy cousin that's been to prison, and you know they they yeah. got out of prison, or they're going to prison, or you, you know, you know so you find people who've been to prison. That, yeah, you you know somebody that you know can relate right. with something that you know these people are going through if you talk to them enough, you know. So, uh, you know, their family screwed them, or some, or a contractor screwed them, like that. There's some way that right. you can develop some kind of common ground. So I just try to find that, you know, just talking through them through rapport. And then, uh, and then, you know, getting them to trust me. So sometimes, you know, people, they, they want to deal with somebody that 
kind of knows what they're doing. So this takes time. It's nothing that developed overnight, but, you know, I, I tell them, I say, well, all you have to do is Google my name and, you know, I'm everywhere, right? I can't run from anybody. Cause right. I mean, wow, that's, that's a powerful thing. But you just Google Forest Boss Houses or Forest McGee. And said, I'm all over the internet. I said, how can I ruin that reputation? If I've spent so much time trying to build a reputation, I said, how can I spend that much time? Or how can I ruin it at this point? I said, I can't. I can't hide from anything. That was some something somebody was asking me about if you know I don't pay their payment. I was working on a subject two deal. And he said, What if you don't what what if you don't pay the payment? I said, you know, I've got way too much time invested in my reputation to not pay your thousand dollar a month payment. I said, you know, I can't do that. I, I can't run that risk of seeing people seeing that on the internet. So I said, I'm right. and that was enough for them. So that Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a that's a powerful reason. That's a powerful reason. It's a powerful powerful element to build trust. You know, it brings up uh, it brings up a client that I'm working with uh, in Ohio, and he's hiring a contractor. And when he was uh, he went and researched the contractor because it was a referral, and he didn't just want to lean only on the referral. So because it was you know the referral, uh, the first referral was really, uh, speaking highly of him and all that. So when he Googled his name, he looked him up and he tried to find some information about the contractor. He found only one review, literally only one review, no other good ones, no other bad ones, just one review. And it was a one star, very bad review. Mm -hmm. And he called, he asked me, he's like, what do I do with this? I said, honestly, just face it straight on. Just ask the contractor straight and direct. You know, because I even heard he, he did good business. So find out what that's about. So when he called him, he contacted him. He said, hey, man, that was just one client. He went over the whole situation. I'm not going to go into detail here. But the contractor went over the whole situation and explained it and said that he tried to resolve it with them, but they were so stubborn. But he tried to do his part, make it right. So that gave him enough reason. But what you're saying is so true because today, especially with the internet, uh, anyone can you know, find out who you are, more about you, and also find out, you know, can they trust you? So that's that's a great line that you use to uh, build trust with your sellers. That's awesome. And there was something else that you mentioned about when you're talking and dealing with sellers. Um, how do you how do you personally handle like the rejection? Right, there's a bunch of people that are going to say no, take me off your list. I'm sure there's people who are irate and just mad. How do you how do you handle that? Uh, maybe not as well as I should. So, uh, you know, you always, everybody has a weakness and we you know one of my weaknesses mm -hmm. is, you know, overcoming objections. There's, there's easier ones to overcome than others. Uh, mm -hmm. however, like if somebody says, take me off your list, you know, I'm not trying to make an enemy. So I just take them off the list. Right. And I'd be like, okay, you know, they're obviously not going to sell right now. Maybe, you know, everybody else isn't taking them off their list. And when it comes time for them to actually have a problem and need a solution, you know, I might be the only one that like did what they asked. And, you know, they might be right. like, the <laughs> yeah. only one that obeyed. Right. So right, right. I'll call it out of the stack and go like, and I'm going to call this guy. So you never know. Um, but simple dejections, like, you know, one so some people like oftentimes i'll get somebody that says well i could just fix the house up myself for 
you know, that kind of money that you're asking as a discount. And I'd be like, well, I don't think so because you, you don't manage contractors. You don't do this, right? You have an office job or you're a school teacher. You don't have the time for this. And, you know, what I can do in a month is going to take you three to four months. Or what I can do for $10,000 is going to cost you fifteen dollars to $20,000 because somebody's going to, you know, take your money. Somebody's going to hit you with change orders. Somebody's going to not do what they said they're going to do. And uh, so, you know, that's one of the objections that I try to overcome. And then, you know, if somebody says, you know, what about, or I'm just not really ready to sell it, why'd you call me? You know, just kind of keep digging for information. You know, why'd you reach out? And, uh, or, you know, I also try to get multiple strategies or multiple solutions to their problem. And, you know, maybe the cash offer isn't, you know, exactly what they need or exactly what they want. So I can okay. offer a couple of different things. Yeah. And, and when they, when they're calling in, do you, or did you um, have like a questionnaire or a script that you would follow maybe in the beginning when these calls were coming in, or do you still even have that in front of you? I do not. Okay. I don't use did you ever. I just kind of let them, well, I see them all the time and in my, you know, uh, Podio CRM has got a script in it, you know, for a live answer, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't do it. I just, you know, I kind of let the conversation go how it is and, you know, how I start out a conversation and I just, you know, tell me what's going on or, you know, yeah. what, you know, and I try to get them to start talking about talking about the property because the property will always lead into what their pain is, what, what their problem is. So, you know, like, for example, they're like, yeah, you know, the property's nice. It's got, you know, three bedrooms, but it could be a fourth bedroom. But my brother who was living there was, you know, took the wall out because he thought he was going to make a bigger bedroom. You know? So it starts leading into the pain just by getting to talk about the property. So I always try to get him to talk about the property first before or sometimes it's very really, oh, tell me what's going on. How, how can I help you or you know, what, what's going yeah. on? What's the situation? Just, you know, I just kind of keep it as interesting as I can for myself, but I'm not a script kind of guy. I just kind of let them take me where they want to take me. Sure. And what do you think is the most important part of your entire conversation with the seller? Like what, what do you really search for? That's going to, aside from property details, but what do you really try to get out of the conversation when you're on the phone? I'm trying seller? to gauge your motivation. I'm trying to gauge how much money they have in the deal. Like, for example, uh, I'll kind of play a little game, you know, keep myself entertained. But it's also kind of pressure point. I ask really loaded questions. Just, uh, but we were talking about, like, how many bedrooms and how many bathrooms it has in you know, then yeah. talking about the backyard, and then I'll say, well, how much money do you owe in the house? Right, I just, like, completely blindside them with, you know, a question. Oh, yeah. Questions as well. So what's your payoff on the house, right? And yeah. I'll know whether they're motivated by if they answer that question or not. If they say mm -hmm. they don't answer that question, I'm like, okay, you know, so, you know, or you just send yeah. an offer, right? Then they're just wasting my time at that point. If they're not willing to be honest with me, they're just, they're either too fearful to make a decision, in my opinion, or they just, you know, they're not going to accept my cash offer anyway. 
Mm. So I see. Yeah. But I, I just okay. just throw some crazy questions. And I get I do that all the time. Like just in general life, I'll just go out and I'll just ask really hard questions of people sometimes. Just you know, just personal questions just because it right. practice me. It, it gives me practice, you know, to do that kind of stuff. So a lot of people are so scared yeah. of that. You know, a lot of people are so scared to ask them those difficult questions, but it's important. You gotta know if you're gonna waste your time putting an offer together and they owe more than the house is worth, it's not it's not worth it. Or if they're not gonna tell you, probably not worth it. So. Right. So to tie a bit what you're saying right now into going back to the part where you say you, you have you struggle with sometimes is the you know, the getting the nose, the rejection or someone saying take me off your list. Do you ever like, cause I know that that's a big problem for a lot of the people. Like, you know, not only just an irate seller on the phone, take me off your list, but make the part of making even the offer, like, I don't want to offend someone. Um, what if they think I'm crazy, right? All that kind of, how, how did you, did you ever struggle with that part of making the offer and how did you handle it? Uh, I did. I guess I struggle. I, I should make an offer on everything, and sometimes I don't. I can think of, you know, sometimes that I say, man, I should have just made an offer anyway, you know, just throwing it out there, just nothing more than just for practice. But uh, mm -hmm. I guess it just comes a point where it's like uh, you have to make an offer. You, you have to. And if you're in this business, you're in the making offers business, and you can't buy a house if you don't make an offer. So you right. got you go back to being a teacher or your, you know your daytime job or you learn how to make yeah. offers. As simple as that. It's just right. business, right? So it's true. It's, it's like true. going to the grocery store if you want to eat. Got to go to the grocery store. So it's true. <laughs> that's a good reference. That's true. So that's great. Thanks for sharing that. And so let's fast forward to today or recently. Uh, I know you've been super busy with a lot of the deals you got going on. Let's talk a little bit about, let's transition into that, about, you know, what has led to the increase uh, in deals uh, and some of the most recent deals that you're working on. Uh, I think that, uh, so I've got deals working on, so looking at my board, my whiteboard, I've got a deal that I got handed in March. It was a wholesaler that found me on the internet from Texas, and he had a lead come across his PPC and uh, he couldn't do anything with it, so he was talking to a couple wholesalers in our area, and he said, you're the only one that sounds like they know what they're talking about. So, you know, here, you know, I'm going to do an assignment contract to you. Well, actually, we did a joint venture agreement, and that thing got stuck in a title issue, and it's been going okay. since March, and on Wednesday of this week, my lawyer says she's finally got everything, and I've been through two lawyers on this, okay? Wow. And, uh, since March, the first one gave up, and then I gave it to my other lawyer, and she's got everything done, and she just needs to get the HUD together now before all the pricing expires, like the tax prorations and all this stuff. So okay. she's like right there, right? I mean, she's like in the last 10 seconds of the football game, and uh, I can yeah. see the victory, right? So uh, right. that one has been – long and painful and for you know simple little wholesale right it's it's well well can you, do you mind sharing like the, pro, the profit on the deal do you mind sharing that like 
because that's a long time too. That's the time is long. And what I love most about what you just said is you got this from another wholesaler who was the one who did the marketing, got the lead, and then you got it through him. So you didn't even pick up the lead. Yeah, so originally, originally what happened was we were going to joint venture the deal. We were going to both yep. do 5000 a piece. And so, okay. so it was a 10000 assignment fee. And so then I sold the house in two days to somebody who was going to fix and flip it. And he okay. couldn't stomach the time. So he backed out of the deal. And he had actually taken it to his lawyer. And that was the first one that she got so discouraged after he backed out. I said, I'll take it. And I found it. I found the funding for it. I said, just keep going. And she finally just let it die. And so I took it to my lawyer and I said, yeah. I said, uh, Paige, here's the situation. See what you can do. And she got everything done. And you know, she's about ready to close it just because she was willing to do what other people, you know, weren't willing to just keep on calling. Right. Wow. So, so then I just went on and funded it and I'm just going to close it and just figure out what I'm going to do after that. But I, I'm just going to go on and close it. Awesome. Well, that's great. That's good. That's good. And, um, and then I think you're, you're currently working on a rehab, right? You said, I think, uh, yeah, was that the one that was just like a few months ago? So let's, okay. So let's go through that one. So I got yeah. the deal. So, so we went, so I found a lady, I you know, do SEO. And so, um, it's so competitive in Richmond, right? So somebody told, okay. somebody told the Richmond market to start SEO. And so it got so competitive, but one of the great things that, uh, care does i know we're not on a commercial for care but i really value them so one of the things no, that's that, great yeah. once you get your website going and get it optimized well then you can do city specific landing pages so you can hit all the little cities you know around the state and so when you get in these smaller cities that are 50 60 100,000 people the seo is not so competitive so you can get you know ranked pretty high pretty quickly and uh so that's what happened. And this lady saw my, you know, at my, my webpage when she was searching for who buys houses in, uh, mm -hmm. in Waynesboro. And so she hit me up and she said, Hey, I got a, you know, I got a house and he's sell. my brother's living in it. He's a deadbeat. He's not paying the rent. And I just took a job in Maryland and I got to go. So will you buy my house? So I said, sure. You know, I'll come take a look at it. But she owed a lot of money on the house. She owed almost what the house is worth, the, you know, the okay. actual value with the condition. And so I said, well, I'll take the contract, but I'll see what I can do. Because it was rented, you know, it's livable, it's just not negotiated. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I just treated her right. And so then the next day, her friend calls me up. And her friend said, uh, you know, her friend said, you know, that, you took care of her, you treated her nice, you know, you're trustworthy and can you take a look at my house? And so I said, okay. so I took a look at her. I took a look at both houses at the same time because this one wanted to see face to face. The other lady took the contract over the, you know, just, I just sent her the electronic contract and she signed it, sent it okay. back. We had never met. And then, uh, 
the other lady wanted me to go see the house. So I went and saw the house and they had, it was a different process, right? You know, they wanted to see face to face. They wanted to talk. They wanted to show me this, show me that. They wanted to have their lawyer review the contract, et cetera, et cetera. So I ended up getting two contracts off of one, you know, right? of one Google search. So, yeah. you know, to, to bring this thing all the way in. So the first person that found me, I couldn't make the deal happen. I couldn't wholesale it for the price. Uh, and she ended up renting it to her father instead. And with that deal ended up falling through. However, the other one, the friend that got led to it, ended up, I ended up buying that house and getting it funded as a fix and flip. But then I was talking with you and I was talking with my wife and I said, you know, I really don't want to flip that far away. Even though I've done it before successfully, I really just don't want to do that. And I just got back from a mastermind in Texas and everybody in Texas talked about how they're wholetailing and basically doing as little as possible to the house and then just putting it on the MLS because it has the largest resource of potential buyers and you make more money than if you were gonna wholesale it because investors are buying to basically a strict model of 70% ARV or better for them, right? And um, MLS people are buying at a higher price because they don't know better. And you, you go all the way back to five years ago when I started, I didn't know better and I bought at a higher price. And so somebody named Nathan told me a while ago, you know, <laughs> don't predict, which, you know, don't try to tell your buyers what to buy the house for. Let them tell you what they're going to buy the house for. So that's basically along with that philosophy. So I said, okay, we'll do it. So we listed it on a Friday and had a contract on Tuesday. Or I listed it for eighty nine nine. I got a contract for eighty seven. I bought it after closing costs and all that stuff because I did a deed of trust and stuff like that for the uh, loan that I did and everything. After everything was done, I was all in at like sixty three thousand dollars, and I was trying to wholesale it for seventy and ended up selling it for eighty seven, less six percent commission to the buyer and seller agent. So. It was better. It was better, and I'm going to do it again. Can't wait. <laughs> and so it's been closed on already? I own it. And they yeah. and I'm in a contract for them to close by December 14th. Okay, December 14th. Awesome. So well, That's fantastic. And so here's the thing. like I was going to renovate this thing all winter yeah. and have it ready for the March, April, May market. And right. uh, I was gonna, my renovation budget was $45,000. And yeah. so I was going to have to put $45,000 of work and effort into a house in the middle of winter. And my expected profit was thirty dollars to $40,000. So I yeah. took like $18,000 and I didn't have to do anything but put a lockbox on it. I moved the piano yeah. around. I staged the dining room because it had some chairs. <laughs> Had this probably playing the piano, yeah. Like, I'm gonna play this thing, play on my profits. <laughs> you know, it was a beautiful house, I was excited about you know flipping it, but yeah. at the same time, I was like, if I could take you know 60% of the money and not do any of the work, it, it'll yeah. allow me to focus on getting more deals. And then when I'm right. a little bit more comfortable, then I can you know decide if I want to flip you know, something 
at that time. But 60% of what I was going to make and not have to do three months worth of work and, and project that the market's going to be strong, you know, in the springtime. And then mm -hmm. I took it. I'm going to take it. Wrong. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so I just want to elaborate on some of that. Cause you know, wholetailing is not a, a common thing for a lot of people, right? It's not just not commonly known, but it's also market conditional too. So right now it works really good. Um, and it, it's a good time to do that. I wanted to bring up a point though, uh, just to be clear on the purchase on the first purchase, uh, did you use your own money or did you use someone else's money? No, I borrowed all that money. Awesome. So, so let's, let's recap the whole thing here. You basically, you got the lead. <laughs> Wait, you got a, you got the lead. You couldn't do anything with the first lead. You got a referral because of how nice you are, right? The, just because you treated the customer well, built a relationship, see what you can do, got the referral, got another deal from her friend, uh, got that property under the contract, bought it with none of your own money, and then decided to wholetail it and make about an $18,000 profit. In how many days, by the way? Was this a month? No. Yeah. How many days? From beginning to end? Yeah. So I, I found the property. I closed. I, I had it under contract, and, and I had a 30-day escrow period from when I got it yep. under contract to when I bought it. And then I bought it on a Wednesday, listed it on that same Friday, that same week Friday, and had a contract to sell it the following Tuesday. So one week, I owned it for one week, and I had a contract to sell it. Right. Huge. That is huge, man. So uh, let me ask you this, though, because th that, first of all, the, the results are awesome there. Um, but the mindset part. Mm-hmm. Where, where has that come from? Because I believe, I believe that to see the opportunity, right? Just to see and envision that kind of opportunity, like the possibility of what can I do here, uh, doesn't come from, uh, you know, thinking about someone's personal problems or, you know, uh, how am I going to close my next deal and all that kind of stuff. But I want to ask you personally, what was it that led you to that point of seeing those kinds of opportunities yes. in your mindset? So what led me to that is I couldn't have learned any of that unless I just listened to other people who are already doing it and mm. it gave me the confidence that I can do it too. Uh, it, and it didn't come easy. I mean, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't had the same, you know, success growth that, trajectory that i've seen other people have like some people are just like i don't know how they do it right they, they get in this real estate business you know they fall forward so fast and then the next thing you know yeah. doing 10 houses a month you know, it's, right right that's not me right you know everything that i've done has been incredibly difficult and it you know mindset everything but you just you listen to enough people that are doing it and sooner or later you say well i guess i can do it too and so you just, you right. know, that one. and, uh, yeah. you know, listening, listening to people going to the local networking events and seeing people do it. And, you know, that's great. But I started kind of getting out of my local area and started doing masterminding and, and, and of course mm -hmm. you with Larry and uh, yeah. just anybody that I can, you know, get around to, 
help build my confidence up. That's how I right, do it. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things you said earlier, uh, which I think is phenomenal, is what, in a way you said what I call success leaves clues, right? It's that whole point about stealing ethically, right? <laughs> legally, legally copying what other people are doing and applying it to your own business, not to reinvent the wheel. And sometimes after you do it, I'll never personally, I have a personal testimony to this that I remember earlier in 2018, I was struggling with a certain strategy and real estate. And you know what I did? I literally looked at one of my, my buddies in the industry. I said, I am literally going to copy everything he's doing. Like, that's it. I'm just going to copy him. I'm going to copy every email. I'm going to copy every letter. I'm going to copy every autoresponder he puts out to his sellers. I'm just going to copy everything. And you know what? I changed my name. Uh, I mean, I changed my name. I don't want to say it like that, but I changed, I replaced his name and my, his uh, details with my details of my company. And you know what? The damn thing worked. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe, I sat there and I said, wow. All I, all I had to do was copy what he did. And it wasn't like he cared, like, oh, don't copy me or anything like that. It was just duplicate what someone else has done that has been successful. And sometimes you could sit back and say, man, I didn't realize it was that easy. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that easy. Why did I struggle so much? And I think it's because we feel like we have to make everything or do it all ourselves. It's that mindset of, you know, if, if I don't do it myself in my own way, um, then I'm not, you know, then I'm, I'm, I'm it's not going to, it's not going to work right. Right. Or if I just copy them, then uh, they're going to say something or they're going to, they're going to get mad at me when actually, especially in this industry, people love to share anyone who's out there online sharing their strategies. They're basically telling you to copy them. But I think sometimes we just get caught up in uh, the little details along the way and not just duplicating it. And I just love hearing the success stories and people that say, you know what, I just copied and I just did exactly what the system said or what the course said. I just copied it, you know, verbatim and uh, it got me the results. And, uh, and you said another powerful thing too is you've, you've worked with coaches and, and been masterminds. Uh, and I think that is one of the most powerful things uh, that anyone can do. If I could go back 13, whatever, 13, 14 years with what I know today. And I do this now, but if I knew what I knew today, then I would have never gone to as many seminars as I did, you know, uh, hundreds. And I would have just hired coaches and mentors uh, along the way, you know? Yeah. I think, um, that, I think that the seminars thing is, is, is different than the masterminding, you know, the masterminding, like the last one I just went to, you know, you guys stand up in front of the room. And say what you're yeah. doing right, what you're doing wrong, and let everybody correct you. Right? That's that's a humbling experience. Mm-hmm. That's not the easiest thing in the world to do, is to just right. you know tell you you're messing up. Because you know one of the problems that I deal with all the time, and it's just you know it's, it's what everybody deals with. You know, is you got to get out of your own way, and you got yeah. people you know to get some things done that just aren't getting done because. You're not focusing on you, – you just got too much to do. I mean, you can't be a business owner and not have people helping you. So, um, right. you know, that's – you know, next year, that's my biggest challenge and my biggest, you know, growth thing that I have to deal with is get people taking care of all the things that I don't need to be taking care of. So Yeah. Well, 
Well, that's a good transition. Uh, kind of as we wrap up this this interview, I just wanted to ask you, what do you see for next year? I know we're coming up towards the end of the year, and you shared a little bit earlier with me um, about the VAs and that how you're expanding that. So, what what's your vision? How do you want 2019 to be for you? Yeah, so my 2019, I, I really want to continue in the wholesale and the transactional part of it. Uh, you know, I like I like closing the deals, taking the title. Uh, you know, everybody has a bad uh, everybody has a bad you know connotation on assignment contracts. I don't care you know what form you go to or who you talk to. You know, everybody thinks that they're you know not right or backhanded or whatever. And you know, even even the customers, you know, they're they're bombarded with people that are just going to, you know, assign their contracts. So if I can actually buy it and, you know, help one of my investors make, you know, a few thousand dollars in their retirement account and then take title, do what I said I'm going to do, you know, tell these people, if I'm going to buy a house, I am going to buy a house. I'm not, you know, I'm not a contract, you know, negotiator. Um, and then just keep doing that over and over again because you know, I'm making a little bit more money. And, you know, I'm actually buying people's house and then it gives me a choice whether I want to flip it or not. You know, I might fall in love with it and get all emotionally tied up in sticks and bricks. But um, right. I really want to do that. I want I want to get more involved with the online. I, I really like I really feel that the online gives they're motivated coming through the door. And uh, I like that strategy of it. Uh, I I don't really like building motivation. I don't really like trying to convince somebody that they have a problem. I just, you know, I just want to pro solve their problem. I don't want to keep telling them they have a problem. Right. They, they can figure yeah, it out. Yeah. And once they figure that out. Right. Uh, and then, uh, you know, that's what I want to do. Just transactions, just get, you know, get as good as I can. And then, uh, focus on the business and try to get rid of all the details and put that to other people. So building a team, an uh, internal team, and um, getting more transactions, that's what I want to do. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. And I think, and I know we'll work on that together along the way come, going into 2019 also, uh, you know, because I've, I've done that for the, a long time. I've even done it with other clients of mine where, you know, whether it's helping them find a virtual assistant or uh, different resources to find them, but I've done it so many times uh, that, you know, I know it very, very well. Uh, so, yeah, I know we can work on that together as well. Uh, and last, last question I have for you, I see the map on the background. So I'm just wondering, uh, where, where do you want to go next? Where is your next travel destination for 2019? Okay, so I got to explain the map. All right, so hold on. So okay. So this map was given to me by my sister. Let's see if I can do this right. Uh -huh. This map is a Oh, it's the scratch map. <laughs> Everywhere that you've been, you get to scratch. You get to scratch. Nice. So, like, I, so, you know, you know this. Uh, several people know this. So, you know, I traveled around the world for a while. So, yeah. So, and then my wife has traveled quite a bit. And my wife's from Malaysia. So, that's one of those scratch travel maps. That's kind of cool. My, my sister gave that to us a year or two ago. So, Next on our travel list is in February. So we just joined a mastermind. It's a quarterly mastermind. And uh, yeah. the, that's in Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. In February. And then um, we might go to Brazil. We have some missionary friends that have to go and get the passports redone in Brazil. And they invited us to go there. Uh, 
maybe January, February, March, something like that. And I'm sorry, I'm talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, doing that. So, so those are probably the two things that we have on the radar right now. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. I got to get myself one of those scratch maps. I, 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 I saw it online. I think it was an ad for it. And I was like, yes. So that's really cool. You have one. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get one. I'm going to order it. So when I get to the U S I'm going to do a video about it, but that's so cool. Do you know how many countries you've been to so far? Cause I know you said you, you world traveler. Uh, when I did it as a profession, I did like 14 countries. I worked in 14 countries. And since then, uh, I guess me and my wife have been to probably five or six, five or six that I haven't been to. Yeah. So that's about right. So maybe about 20, 20 countries. Nice. It's awesome. in the world. We love it. Yeah, it is. That's great. Oh man, thanks so much. What's that? Say it again. You don't know anything about traveling, would you? No, I don't know anything about traveling. <laughs> I literally, I'm, I'm so addicted to it. Like before we got on this call, I was already plotting and planning my next, my next airline, my next flight. Why we're just, you know, while we're just wrapping on the, on the computer here, tell me. So, what was your favorite thing about backpacking through Europe? When you oh man, that was okay. So. I think I told you, we, we did that for about six and a half months. We, uh, we started in Milan and I think my favorite part was this just being spontaneous. Like, I, okay, I've, I've done Europe in two different, three different ways. The first way I did it by bus. I used Globus bus tours. Uh, that was really cool. You fly into a location, they, they accommodate, everything's included except some extra excursions and some meals or whatever and shopping, you pay that on your own. But basically they, they take care of all the hotels um, and you jump on a bus and they start taking you different places. They stop, you go through every city and then you go back to the bus stop and all that stuff. Really nice tour guides all over the way. If you really like history and like to learn about history along the way, that's a great way to do it. The, the second way I did it was river cruises. And this is all of Europe, by the way. So then I would go to like the Danube River, the Rhine River. I did the different rivers in Europe. Uh, I think I did four of those. Yeah, four of those. And again, I did that through um, the Viking. There's a, few, there's a few lines that do this, but one of them is called the Viking Tours and Avalon. I personally like the, the Avalon Tours. Uh, the Viking is a little bit more expensive but I didn't really see the difference in value. So I would say Avalon waterways was really nice. Um, and kind of the same thing, but you, you're leaving your luggage um, on the boat. You don't go from hotel to hotel. So now you're leaving your luggage on the boat. You eat on the boat. I mean, endless amounts of food. <laughs> like all you do is eat, but um, you eat on the boat and then you stop and they have entertainment at night and all that good stuff. It's not a cruise liner boat though. I want to make that clear. Cause most people think, Oh, big carnival boat. No, no, no. This is actually like a three decker boat. It's like three levels. That's about it. And uh, it's flat on top and you can, you know, sit outside. I went during the winter time. Don't do it. I mean, everybody talk. Okay, wait, wait. Everybody talks about the Christmas season in Germany and you know all that in uh, Austria. If you can manage the cold, that was probably the worst European trip I've ever took because it was so cold. It was really cold. Um, and then the third way was the spont just being spontaneous. Like, so we flew in 
the apps that I used during my trip was Google Maps. Absolutely amazing because Google Maps not only tells you like car driving directions, uh, but it tells you walking directions, train, bus. That was huge because when you're in Europe, there's a lot of uh, trains in the area. So in different, in different countries. So you literally, it would tell you how far to walk to the nearest train, what time the train is leaving, the exact train you need to be on, the number of the train. I mean, it was so detailed. Google Maps, two thumbs up. I also used another app called Google Trips, which literally when we got to an area, I would download a map and they would say the top things to do in that area. That's what I do. So literally I would star the ones I wanted and that would communicate with Google Maps, by the way. Uh, and it would tell you, oh, you're gonna, you want to go see this site. And I'd be like, yeah, that's right. In Google Trips, I wanted to go see that. So we saw basically in every place we went, we saw the, the, the highlights without a tour guide. So that was the difference. We could have hired a tour uh, guide and got a little history. We didn't do that. We just went at our own leisure, which was really cool also. Uh, the third app, which was I think was great also, which is uh, called the Go Euro app. And that app is, it's, <laughs> you can tell someone already designed it with experience because it's basically for booking travel. It basically gave you three different options. Do you want to go by bus, train, or air? And you, it would show you the different prices. So if you wanted to compare, oh, should we go from uh, Switzerland? Uh, should we go from Switzerland and Germany by bus, plane, or uh, uh, train? Um, and here are the different prices. Really cool. And you could book it right through the app as well. That was my three favorite apps. Um, and then to summarize our, our whole journey, uh, we, and we did it tough too because we took a, a one and a half year old who could barely walk. Uh, she was walking, but barely. And we took a three, uh, three year old uh, during that time. And um, I, I have to say between being spontaneous uh, and doing what we wanted when we wanted to, like if we were tired of an area, it was okay, let's go. You know, we're going to go to another place. Oh, and sorry, one last thing for us uh, uh, for accommodations. Um, I used the Ritz Carlton or Marriott hotel app, but we didn't stay at Ritz Marriott brands the whole time. We didn't stay at Marriott hotels the whole time. Uh, certain places, for example, in Brussels, we stayed at the Ritz Carlton downtown right next to this famous monument. I wanted it like that. Then, uh, for example, there was many other places we just did Airbnb. That was the first time. And I know you and I have talked about this quite a bit in short term rentals. That trip was the first time I ever did Airbnb. I had never done it before. Um, even though I, I had, I had short term rentals, I had never like stayed in them. <laughs> so that, it, that whole, um, 2018 for me was actually the time I like stood in someone else, like an Airbnb. Uh, and we did that in, different countries along the way. So that was really cool. I would say we did Airbnb probably 80% of the time. And then we did Marriott the rest of the 20%. So that's how we did it. I hope they answered your question, but that was the, the summary of the trip there and, uh, and how we did it. And that was probably my famous, my favorite moments of, uh, of the travel part um, and just going like and seeing what we want when we wanted to. Did your wife like it? Yeah. Um, 
actually, you know, it was interesting. The reason why we first started that trip, <laughs> uh, years ago, my wife just wanted to see Switzerland. We have a vision board. And on the vision board was Switzerland. And I had been to Switzerland years earlier on one of my European trips. So I said, you know what, we're going to go to Switzerland. Forrest, I'm not kidding you. It started off with me booking a trip just to go to Switzerland. I canceled that first part of the trip. I said, you know what, why don't we just start in Milan and work our way up? And, then, and literally that's when we just went totally spontaneous. I said, you know what, babe, let's just see where this takes us. We'll go to Switzerland, but let's just see where this takes us. And we ended up doing Switzerland twice. We did it from Milan and going into Switzerland. So we did it on the way in because we also stopped at Lake Como, which is right on the borderline of Switzerland. So we did it going at the start of the trip, then on the way back, back to Milan, because we went back through Europe an entirely different way. We went back through Switzerland again. So we did Switzerland twice. Two thumbs up. Forrest, again, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, bud. And, uh, and again, I just commend you for, uh, and give you props, man, for never giving up on the business and on yourself. Like, that is huge. Like, um, all the experience that you've, you've gotten from, I remember when we first met and then the first time, you know, some of our first few calls and the struggle you went through to get to where you're at today, it just clearly shows you've never given up on, on the business and on yourself. And uh, it's truly, that, that, that alone, but yeah, the money's great, the money's great, it's cool, uh, and there's so much you can do with it, but the personal achievement along the way is what makes it even better. So that's awesome, man. I give you, I give you a huge congratulations for that, bud. Thank you so much.